Be standing, uh, if you would, and turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Ecclesiastes, if you are not familiar with the Bible, uh, go to the middle of your Bible, that's Psalms. Uh, two books over after Proverbs is Ecclesiastes. So Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Our theme for uh, the message or the, the exposition for the book is living in light of the end. We'll read this together. Ecclesiastes 1, 1 and 2. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This is the word of the living God. Well, we leave the book of Hebrews or that sermon that we have so enjoyed, hopefully, and we come to uh, Ecclesiastes. Just by a show of hands, who has heard a sermon series on Ecclesiastes? Okay, not very many of you. Great. I don't know if that's great or not, but uh, we're going to uh, chart a course, I think, 20 or so messages in Ecclesiastes, and I pray that it is edifying to you as it has been in my own soul. Um, today might feel like a little bit of an introduction, or if it is, but uh, maybe more of a lecture than a sermon, but uh, we do need to lay some groundwork so, so we can understand what this book is about where it's going, and what it teaches, and what it doesn't teach. A couple of uh, comments from some Old Testament scholars. Ian Proven, Ecclesiastes has a long history of perturbation behind it. The difficulty with this book may simply be that the book speaks truly about reality, while we're devoted to illusions. The difficulty may be that we're not too keen to embrace the truth, but prefer to embrace half-truths, or lies. Benjamin Shaw, wonderful little commentary in Banner of Truth. Many commentators approach the book of Ecclesiastes as if it were an alien intrusion into the Old Testament and useless to the New Testament believer. Uh, Barry Webb, Ecclesiastes is perhaps the most enigmatic book in the entire Old Testament. Perhaps you thought that true as well. David Gibson, this fantastic little book on the, um, on the book of Ecclesiastes, writes, Ecclesiastes is a book in the Bible that gets under the radar of our thinking and acts like an explosive device to explode our make-believe games and jolts us into realizing that everything is not as clean and tidy as the let's pretend world suggests. End quote. Ecclesiastes, beloved, will not give us theological platitudes. If you want those, you're not going to find them in Ecclesiastes. Nor will you find naive cliches. Ecclesiastes wants to bother you. It wants to bug you. Ecclesiastes wants you to think. It wants you to come face to face with the mundane. In the words of David Gibson, Ecclesiastes wants us to live life backwards. Because the only reality you and I can face or have guarantee of in this life is the reality of death. 
It's coming. Everything Ecclesiastes says is shaped and colored with the reality that life will end. We tend to live our life forwards. When I get this age, I'm going to do this. I'm going to move here and have this. You live life forwards. And Ecclesiastes says, no, 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 no. Live life backwards. You're going to die someday. Know that reality. So enjoy the life you have God has given you today. Not the life that you pretend you want to have or some make-believe life. Enjoy the gift of today. More about that in just a moment. Let's walk through a couple of um, background issues as we deal with this book. First, genre. Genre, it is wisdom literature. Uh, four books comprise wisdom literature. It's a subset of the writings. And when we talk about the Old Testament, we talk about the law, the prophets, and the writings. These are wisdom literature is a subset of the writings of which Ecclesiastes is a part of, also Job, Proverbs, and the Song of Songs, and there are also awesome um, Psalms of Wisdom as well. The theme of wisdom literature, read Job, read Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, uh, the theme of wisdom literature is the art of living well. Wellness, however, does not consist primarily in health and success, but in righteousness. True wisdom is piety. It is fearing the Lord without swerving into the alleyways of lady folly. Living well does not mean freedom from hardships. Rather, true wisdom expects the potholes of struggle, loss, suffering, and hazards. Uh, Zach Keel writes, wisdom creates life, actually, and one's enjoyment of it, even as a certain measure of hardship and confusion are still experienced. So the main aim of wisdom literature, of which Ecclesiastes is a part of, is the art of living well in this life. Secondly, that's genre. Secondly, author and uh, date. And I think the author uh, gives a clue as to who he is. He says in verse 1 there, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Uh, the preacher, the words of the preacher. The Hebrew word is kohelet. Perhaps you... Uh, People have uh, used this word to describe the entire uh, book of, uh, of Ecclesiastes, but it comes from the noun kahal, which is assembly. So the one who, the one who gathers or the one who assembles people is the idea here. And so we, we give it the, the title, the preacher, but uh, don't, don't read that phrase as the preacher and think, oh, it's talking about someone in a coat and tie. I don't think, or in church, right? I don't think that that's the idea here in Ecclesiastes 1.1. The preacher uh, is more like a wise, old, um, well-trodden, experienced Christian, uh, a sage-like sort, uh, by which you have come to have afternoon tea with or something for a three-hour speech that he's telling you about life under the sun. 
He says he's the son of David, uh, king in Jerusalem. Uh, much of the evidence in the book points to Solomon being his author, uh, 1 1, uh, 1 12. Uh, again, he's the king over, Jerusalem, uh, over Israel in Jerusalem in chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, Kohelet is a son of David, a king who ruled Israel from Jerusalem, and one whom no previous king was greater than. Uh, the book has verbal parallels with Proverbs, Song of Songs, and Solomonic history, which is why I think Solomon wrote this book. Ancient Jewish and Christian interpreters believe Ecclesiastes was Solomon's reflections and meditations in his old age. Uh, that, by the way, is the minority position. Uh, most scholars today, just to be honest uh, with all of you, uh, that is the minority position to say that Solomon wrote this. The majority position says that um, uh, most likely there are two authors and they're kind of internal debate with one, one another, but we'll get to that in just a moment. Let me give you five reasons why I think Solomon wrote the book. One, in 1 Kings 8, Solomon cahals, or he assembles, he's the Kohelet, the preacher, as the Israelites gathered to consecrate the new temple. So perhaps this was a speech he gave at that time. Second, 1 Kings 4. During Solomon's reign, Israel was eating, drinking, and rejoicing. They were, having, they were having a great, grand time. The very same activities, the words uh, the preacher or Kohelet uses as a refrain for his listeners. Ecclesiastes 2.24, 3.13, 5.18, 8.15, 9.7. Does that make sense? Head nodding. Uh, in other words, Ecclesiastes talks much about eating, drinking, and rejoicing. Uh, and so does 1 Kings 4. I don't think that is coincidental. In other words. 3, 1 Kings 4 again. Solomon's greatness is seen in his many accomplishments, internal uh, or international commerce, diplomacy, agriculture, construction of cities, and fortresses. These are all parallel, as we'll see later in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 to 8. Fourth reason why I think Solomon wrote it, 1 Kings 3. God tells Solomon that he has given the king a wiser and more discerning heart than all those before him. Exactly what the preacher says of himself in Ecclesiastes 1.16. And lastly, 1 Kings 4, again, Solomon's knowledge of botanical and zoological matters mirrors the preacher's profound interest throughout the book. The sun, the wind, the rivers, the gardens, the fruit trees, the forests, silver, gold, stones, beasts, thorn bushes, dogs, lions, oil, fish, birds, flies, horses, serpents, clouds, rain, moon, stars, almond trees, and can't forget grasshoppers. Ecclesiastes 12, 1-8. I, again, don't think that is coincidental. So, Either someone, hundreds of years after the fact, recreated Solomonic setting with profound accuracy, read the book, or Solomon wrote it. I think Solomon wrote it. Views of interpretation. Point number three. Views of interpretation. Uh, number one, this is a common view. Life has no ultimate value. 
Ecclesiastes is fatalistic wisdom. Uh, this is a view uh, suggested by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart in their little book, uh, How to Interpret the Bible, I think is what it's called. They claim, quote, the constant message of Ecclesiastes is that of reality, is that the reality and finality of death mean that life has no ultimate value. Why then it is in the Bible? That's what I was asking. Answer, it's there as a foil, as a contrast to what the rest of the Bible teaches. It is secular, fatalistic wisdom, but a practical, not theoretical atheism produces. End quote. Some of you are giving me some strange faces. In other words, Ecclesiastes was written to teach you how not to live. As a foil, as a contrast, just contrast Ecclesiastes with the rest of the Bible, and you'll be okay. That's one way to take Ecclesiastes, and I, uh, I am not persuaded uh, by this view. Uh, chapter 12, you can go there with me. Chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. The author writes, the preacher, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The teacher sought to find words of delight. And uprightly, he wrote words of truth. My question is, how is this book a book of delight and truth? If it's all just secular, fatalistic wisdom, I'm not persuaded by that. A second view, this is also a very common view. Uh, there is an eternal debate, I, I uh, referenced this earlier, there is an eternal debate going on inside the book uh, itself. Um, this view has many, many, many forms. Um, there's, a, there's a good orthodox teacher the preacher and there's a bad cynic, so to speak, or the secularist, and they're uh, debating one another. The preacher is playing two roles, so to speak. You have the cynic and you have the believer and they're arguing together, and uh, or uh, there's also a view that sees this as uh, someone later came. Uh, this book was too negative to the rabbi, so he came later, hundreds of years, hundreds of years after the fact, and put in positive statements uh, about. Uh, life under the sun. Uh, to, I don't want to misrepresent uh, anybody, so let me just give you one one view of this, um, or one aspect of this view. The ESV Gospel uh, Transformation Study Bible, or maybe it's just Bible, uh, writes Ecclesiastes was written to depress us into dependence on our joyous God. If we're attempting to, to live a secular life, a life under the sun, without reference to God, we're attempting to grasp the unattainable. We're striving after the wind. The only remedy to meaninglessness is to find meaning in God. End quote. I'm not persuaded by this view either, precisely because the view would make sense if the phrase life under the sun 
means life apart from God. But I'm not convinced it means that. Life under the sun is the life in the here and now. The life we can access by our senses. It is the world we experience every day. Fearing God does not take away the trouble of life and the enigma of it. You still have to wrestle with today and the advantage and the gain of does my labor matter? Does today matter? I think this view is too simplistic and without imagination. I think it dry brushes the book exegetically and doesn't wrestle with what the preacher really wants us to wrestle with. Each of these views, and there are more, and this is where I think the really crux of the issue is, each of these views have a negative reading of Ecclesiastes. They read the book and it says it's not really a delightful book or a book of truth. And they get that precisely because they have a negative reading of the word Havel. So let me give the view that I take of this book and others as well. So, Havel. The theme being, or the, the main view, is everything is temporary. Welcome to the Tower of Redeeming Grace. Everything is fleeting. I don't think the word Havel should be translated vanity or meaninglessness, as the NIV has it, or purposeless or useless, as the ESV has it, vanity. It is by far the most important word in the book itself. 38 times is the word Havel used. It means breath, vapor, mist, momentary, temporary, fleeting, shortness, brevity, not vanity not meaninglessness. That way of reading Havel is due in large part to the inadequate Septuagint and Vulgate translation. There are five Hebrew words, just by way of uh, footnote here, there are five Hebrew words that denote the idea of vanity and meaninglessness. And none of them are used in Ecclesiastes. I take that to mean if you wanted to tell us that life was meaningless apart from God, he would have used one of those words. Havel, the fundamental meaning of Havel is fleeting, temporary, passing through your fingers, even right now. now let me just give you a couple of examples. Psalm 144. Psalm 144, 3 and 4. You're probably thinking right about now, I thought it was vanity. 
And I thought life was meaninglessness. And my, my thought is, if, Ecclesi if, if, if wisdom literature is about the art of living well, why would a book come along and tell us there is no purpose in living well? 144, 3 and 4. O oh Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a havel, a breath. His days are meaningless. No, his days are like a passing shadow. Uh, Psalm 78.33. I told you Ecclesiastes was going to bother you. Ecclesiastes 78.33. This is a psalm about uh, the, the works of God as his uh, people of Israel were traveling through the wilderness. Psalm uh, 78.33. In spite of all this, in spite of all that God has done, verse 32, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a havel, and their years in terror vanished like that, gone, fleeting, temporary. One more, Psalm 39, 4 and 6. Psalm 39, 4 through 6. O oh Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere havel, a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for Havel, they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. So not only is life fleeting and temporary, the fruit of life is also fleeting. That sounds like my life and your life. The fundamental meaning, back to Ecclesiastes, is not one of vanity. It is one of temporariness, which means the question in Ecclesiastes is not whether there is any purpose in life. That's not the question. The question in Ecclesiastes is about whether there is any advantage, any gain in living well, since this life is passing through our fingers. Uh, the answer, just a sneak peek into the answer to the book, the answer comes from the author, and he says there are profound, good, and enjoyable benefits to living wisely. The downside is that there are no lasting advantages since everything under the sun is so fleeting. I think it's helpful because we tend to think eternity is the only thing that matters. But that's not true. 
Ecclesiastes is going to teach us that the temporary has great value as well. Working hard, responsibly, enjoying life, pursuing wisdom, these are valuable. They just won't last. And that's really the beauty of Ecclesiastes. As he upholds the brevity of life, he also upholds the value of life. And that's the razor's edge of the Christian life. We tend to think, oh, all that matters is eternity. So, you know, this life is, I gotta be a good, a good Christian, but all that matters is eternity. And Ecclesiastes says, no, no, no. Your work, your labor, your kids, all of it, your enjoyment of this life also matters. It's just fleeting. So use it to the glory of God for your own benefit. Uh, Daniel Fredericks and Daniel Estes. Ecclesiastes profoundly and accurately presents to the reader the challenges involved in living in a world characterized by transience, but does so with adequate consolations and guidance on how to cope. I love that. That's what we need in this life. A few of the things in the book of Ecclesiastes as we get going. Uh, there is layered wisdom. Number one, there is layered wisdom in the book. There is a first layer we'll call general wisdom. It's consistent with Proverbs and Psalms. In Ecclesiastes 3.12, there is nothing better than doing good. That's mirrored in Psalm 14 and Psalm 34. In Ecclesiastes 5.1, the preacher warns against doing evil. The sinner is criticized, much like in Proverbs 7.20 and 9.18. Constantly in Ecclesiastes, the fool and his folly are frequent targets of judgment. So it sounds a lot like Proverbs uh, oftentimes as you read this book. But this, there's a second layer to his wisdom. There is a challenging honesty. Have you noticed that to this book? There's a challenging honesty. You think you're wise? The author says, you're going to die. You think you're smart? Your intelligence will come to an end. You think you're discerning? All right. Well, discern your grief for me then. Tell me about why you're in trouble and downcast, he says. You like nice things? They'll be destroyed. Done great things for God? They'll pass. And you'll wonder if it was all worth it in the first place. What just happened to my life? I was doing this extraordinary thing for God. And it just went to nothingness. Was it even all worth it? There is a challenging honesty to this book. The preacher is not interested in making you feel good inside. He's interested in exposing your pride and your supposed wisdom. Again, Frederick Tenestis, until Christ returns, the world of even the most devout Christian is fraught with destabilizing experiences that will unbearably challenge the most wise. 
The second theme or sub theme would be joy and pleasure. The most this is this is amazing. The most pervasive refrains in Ecclesiastes, apart from the Havel refrains that everything is temporary, are what are called the refrains of enjoyment. 2, 24 to 26, 3, 12 to 13, 5, 18 and 19, 8, 15, 9, 7 to 9, 11, 9 to 10. These, these speeches urge us to enjoy the blessings of life. They are not descriptions of how one lives apart from God. We are urged to enjoy music, food and drink. Laughing and dancing, embracing, love, doing good, rest, wealth, a good reputation, prosperity, wine, spouse, the light, youth, and surprisingly, for the wise who use discretion, everything one's eyes and heart desire. That's what we are to enjoy. Now, to be clear, the author is not endorsing materialism or hedonism. Do we understand that? Hear me loud and clear, don't leave. Brian thinks we just live it up. That's not what this author is saying. But he is saying you need to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of this life and what God has given you. And for some of you, that is just going to drive you mad. Because you tend to think that if you're not suffering for Christ, you're wasting your life. And Ecclesiastes says that is such a small view of the Christian life. Ecclesiastes says you will suffer. The whole Bible says that. You will have pain in this life for being a Christian, but you need to wisely enjoy the fleeting pleasures God has given to you because you're not going to have them very long. So you want to play volleyball? Play volleyball to the glory of God. Third sub-theme. Uh, sub Wise, enjoyable effort. Uh, 9, 10. Go with me to chapter 9, verse 10. Wise and enjoyable effort. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Work with all your might, he says. Why? Well, because wisdom and knowledge and work is not possible to enjoy from the grave. So enjoy it now. Work with all your might now because it's passing. It's temporary. It's just fleeting. So work hard. 
Now, focused efforts done with all one's might define the lifestyle of the wise. Did you know that? You are a wise person if you get up every single day in the same bed, eat the same thing for breakfast, go to the same job for two decades, faithfully and happily. That is a wise Christian embracing the mundane for the glory of God. And Ecclesiastes, laziness is denigrated. 726, as is frivolity in carousing. You get a positive, positive view of work and joy and pleasure in this book. Fourth subtheme. A couple more and I'll be done. Uh, God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. This theme permeates all of Ecclesiastes. God's sovereignty is often described in what God gives. Listen to the thing he thinks he gives. He gives the very days and years we live. 518, 815. He gives us the breath of life to humans and animals. 318 and 19. He gives us the sense of the infinite, the sense of divinitas, as Calvin would say, with which we can only faintly identify with him. 311. His infinite nature, divine intent, and providential actions are ultimately beyond our comprehension. 714. He gives us the pleasure of food, drink, and work. We've discussed that too, 24 to 26. In letting us know too much about this world, but not everything, God gives us the affliction of limitedness as a means to humble us and kill our pride. Chapter 1, 13. In other words, Ecclesiastes, in this book, there is a wall which we hit that we cannot surpass and go beyond as we try to discern life under the sun. And God has built that wall into your life. You ever felt that wall? And it's frustrating. And Ecclesiastes says, you will go no further. You are a creature. God is the creator. You live under his sovereignty. I've heard, I've heard it put this way. Uh, life, Christian life, is often like a puzzle. You've heard this before, and um, you're sitting there trying to put a piece, uh, a puzzle together with these pieces that you have. And you know, here's here's the piece of work, and here's the piece of church, and here's kids, and you're trying to fit it all together, and you're uh, out of pieces. But the but the puzzle isn't done. Why? God has not given you all the pieces to the puzzle. And so life at times is frustrating. You're trying to figure it out. And in God's sovereignty, he says, I will not give you that peace. There is a limitedness to our life that we cannot surpass. Uh, lastly, there is an offensive realism to the book. There's an offensive realism often mistaken as cynicism by those who take a negative view of the book. The preacher's realism offends because he describes life in a fallen world often in terms of trouble and vexation. The preacher maintains that the only reality you can bank on in life is death. Death is so real 
so ominous and so immediate that it informs everything the preacher says, which is precisely the why the preacher in Ecclesiastes exhorts us to enjoy the life in front of us. Not the life that will be, not the life we want to be, not the life that was, or some make-believe life. Ecclesiastes says, enjoy what you have now, because everything is havel. You're not going to have it very long. So enjoy it to the glory of God. And like many of you, I've had Havel moments in my life. A couple of weeks ago, Riken comes running up and he says, Dad, when I make the NBA, <laughs> not it, when I make the NBA, do I have to play games on Sunday? I'm raising a little soft hand. And I said, well, you're going to have to talk to your coach about that. Maybe send him chariots of fire and Eric Liddell and, and his story. But if you don't play on Sundays, you won't be in the league very long, I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, and, I don't know, he ran off and did something. And I thought to myself, like many of you have, it was just yesterday. I was feeding that kid applesauce in the high chair. Right? It was just yesterday. He was crawling around on the floor. Where has the time gone? That's a bell. That's the message of Ecclesiastes. You're not getting life back. It's temporary. And it's fleeting. So don't, don't minimize and shortchange and, and despise the gift of God. No enjoyment, but just know that even, even as you enjoy them, even as you're feeding applesauce to a toddler, or whatever it may be. Life is, is falling through your fingertips. It is heaven. I'll leave you with this. In the Ecclesiastes from the New Testament, James chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, what is your life, he said? You are a mist. You are a heaven. That appears for a little while, and then gone, vanishes. That, beloved, is the message of Ecclesiastes. And I pray, may God help us live this brief life with joy and with peace. Our great God, we 
are humbled by the fact that you have placed us in your world. And yes, this is our Father's world, full of all great things for us to enjoy. Help us to walk this razor's edge of the Christian life, that though all things are temporary, it is extremely valuable. Friends, church, food, drink, all of it, we do it for your namesake.